We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on Roto Grinders, brought to you by Prize Picks. From Friday morning until Chiefs kickoff, Patrick Mahomes' yardage prop is going to be set at a half of a yard for new and existing users. Easy money. Sign up for Prize Picks and use the promo code GRINDERS for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. So I'm Jordan Cooper. AKA Blender Ed, Blender HD. You can follow me there on Twitter. Back for another year of advanced, advanced analytics, correlations, uh, leverage strategies, kind of uh, for, for large field GPPs, help you take down that million bucks or help you in the, the smaller field for, you know, overstacked type of lineups and back for, for another season. The man behind the model at Advanced Sports Analytics, it's Stuart Gibson. How, how's the model been 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 treating you? How, what what's is is there anything new uh, for this season uh, NFL wise at at ASA this year? 
Yeah, it's um, it's been a long week to say the least. I started working on stuff like two months out, and uh, you know, it never feels like enough time. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're rolling out um, a lot of different things this year. Um, you know, we're working on refining some old things. You know, a standard projection model. Uh, we've added floor and ceiling projections to to that. Um, and yeah, I mean, rolling out a, a number of new things, ownership projections. Um, and with that, you know, I think all these things kind of come together in a nice way. And I know on the show, we talk about ownership, uh, correlation, uh, the, the range of possible outcomes. And, uh, you know, I think all that discussion and the work that we've done to kind of put together metrics that, that try to uh, quantify some of these things that we discuss, you know, the end goal is to put that together in some sort of simulation program. I, I do think, um, you know, just in listening to content leading up to the season and already here in week one, you know, I think simulations are going to be super uh, top of mind. And so we've, we've worked to put together uh, a pretty involved system that really takes into account uh, all those things that, that, you know, we talked about last year and I'm sure we'll get to this year. Um, so so I'm, I'm super excited about that. Uh, it's definitely a lot of work to manage and just a lot of uh, computational usage uh, on my computer. I think I'm going to need to give my comp a rest um, this evening, but uh, yeah, very, very excited about that. Um, you know, I, I think we we try to um, you know aggregate all these things that we talk about in, in our mind and kind of use use the computer that is our brain to to piece it all together. Um, there are some obvious pro some obvious pros to, to that approach, um, but you know we I do feel that like running all this stuff into a computational program is one really good way to quickly spit out uh, information uh, that is highly actionable, of course, uh, you know, projection, of course, ownership, of course, floor ceiling are actionable, but, uh, you know, the task of aggregating all of that to uh, get to an expected like ROI of, of an individual lineup or some combination of players. Yeah. Things are, things are already running smoother by the day. And uh, uh, yeah, just excited to see where that goes uh, for, for the 2021 season. Right. Kind of we're both kind of trying to get to the same point in a different way. So you're you're putting together the computational stuff, and I rely on the fact that like I grasp the concepts as fully as possible, and can I be directionally accurate? So instead of worrying about point two here and point three there, it's like can I end up at similar lineups as if you simulated the slate, you simulated the contest, you simulated the games a million times, and most of the field, especially in NFL, on DraftKings, on FanDuel. Uh, the field isn't that sharp, right? It's not sharper than, than, than a computer doing it. So since we're playing against other opponents, I look to exploit them. Now, in the, in the first week of the season, I think I, I have two questions for you, Stuart. Uh, one that's more broad that from season to season and one that has to do specifically about week one. So the first thing is uh, how do you prepare for week one of a season where the correlation between what teams and what teams are good and bad, because a lot of people, I mean, the field will look at last year's stats and go, well, this team is good and that team's bad. But we know that coaches change, personnel changes. And also last year was only 17 games and it may sound like a lot of games. 17 games is a pretty small sample size. So uh, when, when you prepare your projections and uh, assessments for, for the first week of the season, like how much, 
how much stock are you putting into uh, the 17 game sample from last year on this year when squads are moved around and coaches where, where it's not as, it's not as linear. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we were putting stock in kind of the back half uh, of last season. I mean, it's very tough. Cause like you mentioned, the sample size uh, is small, it's limited, but also in, you know, with, with baseball, we have a large sample that is also recent enough where we feel that that sample is going to be indicative of what, um, you know, the future will hold as we're like the NFL. Yeah. We could increase sample size and go back, um, you know, the past three seasons, but I mean, the, the current state of team, you know, teams are unrecognizable, uh, you know, two years removed from one another. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough line to walk um, early in the season, like with rookies who essentially don't have any data. We, we were trying to get, um, you know, preseason data to, to, to impute like efficiencies for, for rookies, but uh, not available. And I'm not even convinced that like preseason efficiency data is super reliable. You know, some players are going up against second string defenses, um, but we're, we're relying on like rookie comps and just working under the assumption that, uh, rookie players will perform similarly in terms of their efficiency to the efficiency of players that they're comp to uh, during their rookie seasons. Uh, and then all the, you know, volume stuff, target share, uh, rush attempt share, you know, that is manual editing uh, based on depth charts, based on uh, coach speak, uh, and based on, you know, for, for, for the teams that are similar kind of in roster construction to what they were last year we can rely on last year's data um or we can use like the relative breakdown of last year uh to 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 i guess get some assumptions about what's going to happen this year so like obviously larry fitzgerald not on the cardinals aj green now on the cardinals uh but i think it's reasonable to assume that from a role standpoint uh you know, AJ Green might fill some roles similarly, similar to that, that of Fitzgerald from the previous year. Um, yeah. Also relying on like coaches, historical uh, trends. So yeah, Philadelphia has Nick Sirianni, right. As their head coach this year, it's reasonable to assume that the pace at which they play with the, the pass over expectation that, um, you know, their, their offense uh, takes on is going to be different from that of when Doug Peterson was the coach. We don't have any data on Nick Sirianni, the head coach, but we do have information on, you know, how Sirianni uh, managed like the Indianapolis offense. And I think that could uh, give us some indication as how we might expect him uh, to manage the uh, Philadelphia offense as a head coach. Um, I'm not familiar with who the Philly like offensive coordinator is, but we can look at previous seasons uh, where that OC was like a head coach or an OC at a previous team. Um so I think, yeah, looking sometimes at things at the coach level as opposed to the team level can be uh, a valuable way to to approach it. Uh, and then you have teams like Jacksonville, you know, new rookie quarterback, uh, head coach that's never coached in the NFL. Um, you know, th those are going to be kind of tough. Um, you know, we, we, we we're kind of assuming that the, I guess, the front office uh, is going to bring in a guy that they like that's going to be similar to uh, previous coaching regimes. And with that, you know, I think, we don't have much of a choice other than to, uh, you know, assume recent uh, data will hold true in the early stages. And then, of course, you know, as we get data trickling in, uh, you know, update our priors based on early season uh, data and trends. Well, for week one, it's a very different week from all other weeks of DFS on, on both sites. 
because they release salaries over a month in advance. So the week one slate uh, for salary purposes is the most inefficient there is. I think week 17 or, or week 18 this year, like because players are sitting and we don't know who they're going to be. We also get kind of that dynamic where there's a lot more inefficiently priced players. So for week one, with the fact that uh, we have multiple players, possibly, you know, you know, tens, twenties of players that are either inefficiently underpriced or overpriced. Uh, how did, how do you uh, weigh that in? Because week two, week three, week four, what happens is that based on past performance, DraftKings, FanDuel, they'll, they'll make the salaries more efficient. They'll, some guy has a big game, they're going to price them up a little bit more. But now that we have a lot of underpriced players, we're especially seeing this in wide receiver this week. We have a lot of like guys that are 3K that probably should be 5K, maybe, maybe. It's within their range of outcomes that uh, the projection, like the median projection of lineups are going to be much wider. So for instance, like a bad player who doesn't identify uh, inefficiently priced players is going to have a significantly lower median projection of their lineup than their opponents, than anyone else in the contest. But of course, they're going to get an ownership discount by doing so also. So how do you, we're going to talk a lot about correlation and game stacks and, you know, weighing, you know, playing both sides of a game, playing quarterback with multiple people. Uh, do you believe that because uh, the projection gap between lineups could be wider this week, that the importance of correlation is a little bit less. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess when there is more value available on the slate, uh, you could make the case that correlation yeah, matters less just simply because they are going, it's just easier to spot like the one-off uncorrelated pieces. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, like the lower the scores are, the, the more, um, the lower that the fantasy scores are kind of across the board, the, the more correlation is likely to be in play. You know, if everyone is shooting out and there are a bunch of high value plays available on the slate, uh, you know, simply just getting the right, you know, combination of those high value plays, uh, is likely to give you kind of more, uh, more like ROI than, than strategically like placing correlations in kind of a tight, um, you know, a tight, uh, field or player pool. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, th I think that makes sense to me. Um, I mean, from a projection standpoint, like we're not incorporating price in any way into the projection. So I don't know that mispriced players, uh, you know, have an impact on, you know, how, how, how things should be projected out. And I can't imagine many systems do, you know, regress on price uh, that, you know, that would seem to not be the best approach. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I guess I'm with you. Yeah. As the less tight uh, things are, uh, you know, the, the more, uh, or I'm sorry, the less that correlation I uh, would figure to play in. Right. So, I mean, the, the point that I'm making is that if you have a choice between two players, at a similar price or whatever, if we just make them like kind of equal, but one has like a two or three point higher projection, but the lower player is more correlated. It's, it's the run back of the game stack that you're playing, or it's the second receiver of the quarterback you're playing that, that there's so much projection value that the correlation may not make up. It may end up being, you know, somewhat equal that 
don't necessarily feel as if, well, I need to double stack my quarterback. I need to have a run back. You know, I need like, it may be that for this first week with inefficiently priced players that I know I'm building my lineups for, uh, for DraftKings. I'm playing less double stacks than I would normally play on most weeks because I just think there's, there's enough value out there that I'm more likely to have, you know, one or two value guys in almost every lineup. And it may just not, it may not correlate with, with the game stack that I'm playing, but I think the projection is, is worth doing so. So that's kind of like a trade-off. Yeah. And I think also to the point of it being early season with higher uncertainty, like midway to late in the season, I think we have a pretty good, at least relatively good understanding of team dynamics. uh, You know, how players within a, a team roster relate to one another and how they relate to uh, players that they oppose on kind of a, a game by game basis. But early in the season, I mean, there's so much roster turnover, uh, new, new player, new skill players, uh, quarterback change, coaching chains. I think there's less, I guess, confidence in some of the correlation uh, metrics that later in the season, we might have more confidence in. Um, I know kind of you talk about uh, length, how comp, uh, confidence or lack thereof can kind of work two ways where you can, um, you know, sometimes confidence uh, increases our propensity to do something. And other times it can be exploitative to, uh, you know, take stock in something that other people are less confident in. Um, but I do think that, yeah, early in season where team dynamics, uh, what, what, what players are kind of on the field with at the same time as one another, uh, how, how, how teams play in terms of pace uh, and, and kind of defensive skill and the, the pace at which uh, a team's defense is able to kind of cycle the opponent off the field, either uh, by allowing them to score quickly or, you know, forcing them off the field quickly and getting a stop, you know, all, all that stuff's unknown. So, so maybe, uh, yeah, taking, taking stock in correlative assumptions might, might be um, a little weaker kind of in the early stages of a season. And, and we might become more confident that in that as the season uh, rolls out. So let's talk about correlations of certain games of the week. Before that, if you're on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button. Give me those thummy thumbs. Subscribe to the channel. If you're new here, this show is also on the Roto-Grinders Daily Fantasy Football feed. So uh, you can subscribe there. Uh, any place you get your podcasts and feel free to rate and review in iTunes. So on this show, just like last year, we tend to focus on the high total games because they're the most likely to, uh, to shoot out. And in shootouts, Having multiple pieces from the game is obviously very beneficial. So I, I've highlighted there are five games with a to- on this Sunday with a total 49 or above. We'll talk about those main games, and then maybe we could throw in, if there's uh, some outlier, uh, lower total games that we should be targeting. But first up, it's uh, the Browns at the Chiefs, 54 and a half total. It's up two points since open. The Chiefs are a five and a half point favorite, 30 implied total for the Chiefs, 24 and a half for the Browns. Uh, With this being the highest total game on the slate, it's not going to be the highest owned game on the slate because of the dynamics of the price and, uh, and, and limitations of your lineup that you get with the Chiefs. So at a 30 point implied uh, total for the Chiefs, obviously we have Mahomes, we have Hill, we have Kelsey. Like it's, 
they're, they're not a mystery, right? Obviously, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of the backfield, but he's going to be very highly variant. On the Browns, it's kind of clear also. I mean, I know OBJ, I think, is now on the injury report as questionable, but wouldn't the typical way of, of stacking this game to be Mahomes plus one of Hiller Kelsey, and then you run it back with uh, Landry or OBJ? Or do you, do you think it's viable on this week when we have multiple like 3K type of wide receivers that playing, playing the double stack, which is very expensive, you're basically playing, you're taking half of your salary to play Mahomes plus Hill plus Kelsey. Do you think it's worth it? Because I don't think that if the Chiefs put up 30 to 35 points, I'm not sure if the stack, the stack, yeah, they all have good scores, but will they have must have scores together? Yeah, I, I would tend not to want to stack Hill and Kelsey together. Um it's not like the the pricing is such where I think you can you can get pretty good lineups where uh, you stack both those guys. It might get you like off. I, you know, I do think like the expensive running backs are going to be, you know, right. Like I think we both agree that the build is going to be expensive running backs, cheap receivers paying up more or less at tight end. Um, you know, I do think that that build of like Hill plus Kelsey plus Mahomes is going to even even as much value as there is at cheap receiver. I do think it's going to force you to kind of get low on running backs but I, I to me it feels like a uh, preventatively high uh kind of cumulative spend um i do like i think like kansas city kind of a, a, as a team stack but I, I would probably be more inclined to go like hill or kelsey plus a mccall hardman um you know as kind of the, the second piece trying to find like a cheaper kansas city guy um, yeah, and then bring back with uh, probably OBJ is looking like the uh, preferred kind of bring back option from from, from our stuff, um, like Mahomes, Hill, uh, Hardman, OBJ, so something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, it is the high total. Uh, I think it will be a popular team to stack, but like I do think we'll probably get more uh, ownership on, say, like Arizona or Buffalo stacks uh, or Cincinnati um, you know, one of those, uh, three teams. Um, so yeah, I think there's, you know, we know every week, like there's a ton of upside on, on the Kansas city side. Um, so yeah, I think it makes, makes for kind of a strong and, and probably my preferred, like of the, uh, quote unquote popular stacks would, would probably be the, the popular stack. Like I would rather be overweight on Kansas city and, and underweight on say like Buffalo, um, or, or Arizona or something like that. I think I agree with you. Now, how about doing it the other direction? We can't start the first week with uh, with you not wanting to play the Cleveland Browns, <laughs> right? It seems like every week I'm looking at the Browns, looking at the Browns. What <laughs> happens if you do it the opposite way? Instead of playing Mahomes, you play Baker Mayfield. You save a lot of salary, yet you're essentially playing the same type of lineup or play someone like Nick Chubb and you go under the assumption that Chubb is basically, you know, rushing for 120 yards and three touchdowns and Mahomes is actually behind in the game. Yeah. So uh, the, the simulations that, that kind of we're running are not super high um, on Cleveland uh, as a stacking option um, of simulations. We ran Cleveland based stacks are appearing in the top 1% of lineups only uh, a shade over 1% of the time, which, you know, obviously is better than kind of, let's just say the average lineup, but uh, you know, most, 
most of your stacked lineup should have kind of a higher than 1% probability. So they're, they're kind of towards the low end in terms of uh, frequency appearing in the top 1%. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure what exactly that comes from. I, we must have kind of a weak projection uh, on Baker. Um, and, you know, it's also a pretty spread out offense like OBJ, Landry, uh, Donovan's Peoples, Donovan Peoples-Jones figures to have kind of a slightly higher role with, um, you know, like Kadero Hodge, not, not in the mix, you know, they, they have kind of the, the, the trio of tight ends that, uh, it, you know, it, I, I almost feel like Cleveland is a little tough to pin down right now. Like, uh, you know, just thinking back to last year when they didn't have uh, OBJ, it was a pretty condensed and, and they had all sorts of injuries at tight end, you know, it was a far more condensed, uh, you know, receiving pool. And I think target shares were a little more, uh, sparse right there were a bunch of guys that were not in play at all and then a number of guys that you know you could project for close to 20 percent target share uh, i think that's not so much the case right now you know we'll see if injuries uh you know kind of comb out uh some of these uh, secondary or peripheral cleveland receivers but um yeah i mean i guess i just have more confidence in the uh density of kansas city right with no sammy watkins like you know just could see tyree kill getting like you know, 30% target share, 40 plus percent air yard share, something like that. As we're Cleveland, I don't know, you know, OBJ last year when he was healthy was a consistently good target share, you know, north of 20, but uh, never uh, rarely like a truly great, you know, uh, 30 plus 40 plus percent target share game. So uh, yeah, I think I'd be a little less interested in going uh, on the Cleveland side and definitely would want to attack that from the Kansas City side of things. Right, talking about before with the the inefficient pricing and and the less need for correlation. Not saying that you don't need it at all. Uh, I think I'm more li- I'm more likely to not even prioritize the Browns in Kansas City lineups. Like I'm I'm more I'm I'm perfectly fine just going Mahomes plus one of Hiller Kelsey and that and that's it. That's the the Chiefs go on. They win forty two to seven and who cares who's on the Browns because none of them get there anyway. So the next game, 53 total. It's up two points from 51. It's the Arizona Cardinals versus the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are now favored by two points. Titans 28.5 implied total. Cardinals 25.5 implied total. Uh, This is, I believe, projected by the Blitz to have the most amount of plays in the game uh, because Arizona runs, I mean, if we go by last year, the highest pace in the league and the Titans are sneakily fast. Also, uh, even though, you know, yes, when they lean on Henry, the clock tends to slow down, but the Titans actually throw the ball way more often than, than people think they do. So for this game, uh, it, I think it's, it's going to be popular and I think it's primarily going to be popular because there's very, it's like very clear who it is that you would play, right? You have Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, maybe you throw in a Rondell Moore. He may be the slot receiver. That's the, you know, that's kind of fragile right there. We don't know. Uh, and then on the other side, you got Tannehill, Brown, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry at running back. Obviously you got Chase Edmonds or something at running back for the Cardinals, but like, I don't have to, I don't think I have to guess as much. I think, I don't, I think the Titans are way more condensed than the Cardinals because Cardinals, you know, they tend that, you know, he'll run four wide receiver sets sometimes. But do you think that uh, with the pricing, 
because this is not going to be cheap either. You know, Murray and uh, and Henry and the receivers. I mean, these this isn't cheap. Do you think that there's requisite enough upside to play a two a two or three plus one of this game that makes it worth what we the ownership is? I mean, I'm taking a look at some of this ownership, and uh, I mean, it's not out of control, but I mean, most of these guys are going to be around 10, 12% owned, and it's a 13-game slate, so that that is fairly enough owned that I think the game stack will exist in you know six to seven percent of lineups on the slate. Do you think? Do you think that for the prices that it has enough upside to be you know a shootout that pays off all of their salary? Yeah, I mean, I'm not so much concerned about it paying off the salaries. Like, I think, uh, you know, Kyler projects really favorably. And, uh, you know, the Arizona, the Arizona side in general, uh, you know, Kyler projects well. I think Rondell Moore is like a great value. My, my fear really is just that it's going to be super popular, uh, you know, the, the most popular game. And I, I would guess that Tennessee and Arizona will probably be two, I mean, are likely to be two of the top, you know, five or so teams that are stacked up on the slate. Um, I don't, so, you know, I, I, I think there's good value. I think, I think the game projects pretty well, but just account, on account of the ownership, like very popular with Kyler, yeah, Hopkins and Rondale Moore. Um, to me, like an interesting guy in this game would be, uh, you know, Chase Edmonds, I think is likely to probably not appear in many lineups, just he's kind of at a price point that is unlikely to get a lot of ownership, just given, you know, how, how cheap and valuable uh, cheap wide receivers are. I think like we discussed, you know, people are going to spend up for the Camaras, Mixons, CMCs, McCaffrey's of the world. And like, you know, Chase Edmonds to me seems like a pretty strong, uh, you know, leverage leverage play in this spot uh, where, you know, if, if he has a big game and steals, you know, rushing uh, equity from Kyler Murray, uh, you know, steals kind of more uh, more than expected usage from uh, some of these Arizona receivers. Uh, I do kind of like Edmonds in this spot. Uh, so so kind of trying to be underweight on, say, Arizona stacks uh, and be be overweight on, say, Edmonds. I, I think for me that that sets up as kind of a nice leverage spot. Uh, my leverage uh, uh, take on on this would be to play Kyler, but don't play Moore or Hopkins. I think I'm less likely to play Hopkins because remember Hopkins is 7,800. So he's going to, he's going to need to get you, you know, 25, 30 plus points, obviously correlated with Kyler Murray, but since we got AJ green, I know old guy in there still got Christian Kirk around that it's quite possible that Kyler, you know, maybe he throws for three touchdowns and runs for one. And none of the three touchdowns go, go to Hopkins. So Hopkins may still be sitting there with 19 points, but isn't going to be as valuable in the stack as a, you know, 2% owned AJ Green or Christian Kirk, who they're the ones at 3,800 and 4,500. Rondell Moore sitting there with a nice slot receiver game, right? Maybe a six for 60. And it's like, yeah, for 3K, 12 points, good for your cash lineups but now you're wasting a spot with only 12 points in a GPP lineup. Maybe how often will green or Kirk beat out more, uh, even though more slightly, you know, cheaper that one is going to be around 14 to 15% owned. And the others are going to be 2% owned that why would I, if this is going to be a popular game, unless I get different in the rest of my lineup, 
Like, I can still take the chalk of the rest of my lineup and go, well, give me Kyler, give me AJ, give me a Kyler AJ Green stack and run it back with Julio. So you're, you're, it's not like you're going completely nutso, but there's a world in which Hopkins still gets 100 yards, right? It's not like he has a bad game, but he just doesn't see the end zone and these other subsidiary pieces do. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And like, you know, look, if Hop- if you if Hopkins has a great game and you've got him, you know, you're still going to have to beat out, uh, you know, the other whatever, uh, you know, f- 12% of the field or whatever that has kind of Hopkins plus Murray uh, in their lineup, maybe not 12%, maybe like, you know, I don't know, eight, eight to 10 or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's one of those ones that like, it, it does set up well, uh, if you, if you ignore ownership, uh, it looks like a great spot, looks like a great game. Um, yeah, I am just a little concerned that the ownership is going to be very high, particularly on that, uh, Arizona side. What do we do with the big dog? 10% on, I mean, comparison to McCaffrey compared to Kamara compared to cook. I mean, typically Derrick Henry, since he doesn't really catch passes, he's touchdown dependent, uh, which is highly variant. I mean, kind of the rule is you play Derrick Henry when he's when he's not chalk and you fade when he's chalk. Uh, does Derrick Henry correlate well enough to the Cardinals, though, that when Derrick Henry has a 150-yard, three-touchdown game, that you know, that Kyler Murray gets there or DeAndre Hopkins gets there. Are you more, are you more likely to play Henry as a one-off or as part of a game stack? You probably game stack him. I think as a running back, it's one of those that can hit home to the opposing offense pretty quickly. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think Henry makes for a decent play uh, as part of a game stack, but, you know, he's not, super strong from a projection standpoint. Um, but that, that has, you know, he, he has, he has broken, uh, you know, broken, broken the mold on kind of games in the past where he doesn't project super well from a median standpoint, but he does have that great ceiling. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I would expect uh, Henry to not generate a ton, a ton of ownership. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's in, I think he's in a fine spot. Okay. Going on to the next game. Uh, I like this from an ownership perspective. I like this game the best out of the 49 plus total games. And this game is the Seattle Seahawks versus the Indianapolis Colts. It's a 49 total. It opened at 52. So now it's down to 49. Uh, The the line flipped. So now that uh, Seattle is a three point road favorite, they have uh, 26 implied total. Colts have a 23 implied total. If we take a look at ownership, like, this game does not stand out other than maybe Michael Pittman. So Michael Pittman at 4,100, because uh, we don't have T.Y. Hilton there anymore, uh, is going to garner some ownership. Maybe we get a little bit on maybe Chris Carson, but if you're going to tell me that like uh, Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf and Russell Wilson as a stack is going to be like, like the 12th highest on the slate or something like that, they're playing inside in Indianapolis, like, how do I not take a shot on this? Yeah, I am happy we're on the same page uh, out of the gate. I mean, I, I so I'm working on our Substack article for the week. Uh, I've written up both sides of this game. I mean, I, I think I think you could play uh, either side of this game. Seattle is the I think kind of more down the fairway option, but definitely not as uh, you know not going to be nearly as popular as like Arizona 
Kansas City, Tennessee, like Atlanta, Carolina. I mean, the, the, I, I do think they're just not they're they're not going to generate quite the ownership that some of these other uh, stacks that maybe project better from a value standpoint uh, will. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we can start with the Seattle side. I mean, Russ, obviously high upside quarterback can run. Um, yeah. I feel pretty good about Seattle's uh, you know, the receiving situation. Like they lost David Moore. Uh, they lost Greg Olson, but added Gerald Everett. So I kind of see that as more or less a wash. Maybe you could expect a little more, targets to tight ends in last year. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just like David Moore kind of was a perennial thorn in the side of any Seattle stacks that didn't include him. Um, I don't think like the pricing is so insane on Metcalf or Lockett such that you couldn't stack them together. You know, the narrative is kind of always, oh, well, you know, you can never play those two guys together because either one has a big game or, or the other has a big game and the other does nothing. Like, you know, maybe that is the case, but um uh, you know, I feel fine stacking up both those guys. We're just going back to the last game. Like if you go Edmonds at running back, do that Seattle uh, trio of kind of their star players plus Pittman. I mean, it just to me, the, the ownership on these type of builds are going to be quite low. Um, the totals there, um, Seattle, you know, is, is supposed, you know, we've heard that they're going to play fast this year. Um and then, you know, I'm fine with the other side. I mean, do you have any thoughts on Indianapolis? Uh, you know, usually Seattle's a defense that, that we want to pick on, um, you know, from a projection standpoint, like Wentz and some of these secondary Indianapolis pieces aren't super compelling, but I mean, the ownership's going to be next to nothing uh, on some like, you know, Wentz, Pittman, uh, you could just go single there. Or you could try to, you know, put in like one of the tight ends who, you know, are going to get next to no ownership because, you know, the popularity of like Kelsey and Pitts. Um, are you looking at this just from the Seattle side or is Indianapolis uh, in play for you as well? Well, I think from a ceiling perspective, the Seattle side is so much higher, especially in the quarterback, a Russell Wilson over a Wentz. And also if I'm going to play Wentz, I'm more likely at his price to double stack. And the problem is, is that the Colts, they throw the ball. To, I mean, obviously it's a different quarterback now, but I mean, Paris Campbell, you got Zach Pascal, you got like three tight ends that they rotate. Like, do I have to guess at the second? Like, I, I don't mind taking one of them as the run back of Wilson plus receiver, right? Because I don't have to worry about the Seattle side as much as, as I worry about the Colts side. But what are your thoughts on like an 8K Jonathan Taylor in this spot? Because I don't, I mean, I... I can't see him being, I mean, he may be 2% owned on, on this slate because he's one of those people that I think is actually slightly overpriced compared to other running backs. But do you think that there's that the, from a probabilistic standpoint, I think if Jonathan Taylor is doing very well, I think it's less, it's more likely that the Seahawks are dudding. Like I don't, I don't see Jonathan Taylor as a run back to Russell Wilson plus DK Metcalf. I see Jonathan Taylor as I'm just playing Jonathan Taylor and he's the only guy in the game. Yeah. I, I think I'm aligned with that. Um, yeah. His, his game, his ceiling game is right. Going to be a, a slow pace ground and pound Indianapolis game. Um, yeah. I don't think he's like great from a projection standpoint, but yeah, we, we actually, I have the ownership at 2% on Taylor. Um, you know, I do think he has a higher than 2% probability of, you know, being in kind of the top 1% of lineups. Um, 
we've we've got a uh, I've been incorporating this uh, sim value into our projections, which is just the uh, average return of lineups that feature uh, different players, and we've got Taylor uh, lineups at, at plus thirty four. So not like a, you know insanely high um, average return on Taylor line, but definitely positive and kind of above zero. Yeah, I think Taylor makes for a pl- fine play. Uh, probably agree with you that I would prefer to see him uh, just as like a one-off uh, in non-Seattle lineups um, and probably not a piece of like Wentz stacks. I just don't think he's, you know, the, the running back you would want to have with Wentz if you did go running back with Wentz would definitely be like Naheem Hines and kind of, project for a Seattle blowout type game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Taylor is efficiently priced, but yeah, going to be next to no ownership. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't think Indianapolis is going to get much ownership and like Seattle is a, you know, prototypical team that last year we wanted to attack. Um, I'm not sure that they've made, you know, significant upgrades to the point that, that we would want to move off of that. Um, so yeah, I, I do like this game a lot uh, uh, from both sides. Um, so I'm with okay, you next game, 49 total. It's up two points since open. It's the Falcons at the e- it's the Eagles at the Falcons. Uh, the Falcons are favored by two currently. 26.25 for the Falcons, 22.75 for the Eagles in the implied totals. Uh, we see here, uh, ownership-wise, the Falcons are going to be popular. We have uh, Kyle Pitts at 4,400. I know he's a rookie, but I mean, he's essentially a wide receiver playing eligible at tight end for 4,400. So we have his ownership over 20%. Calvin Ridley at 7,900. He's going to be in the double digits. Mike Davis uh, is going to get some ownership at 5,400, like 10% or so. Uh, The Eagles on the other side of the game, maybe not so much ownership, but I think uh, Jalen Hurts may be a popular quarterback option that people are going to have to try to find, you know, someone to pair him with, whether it be Rager or Devonta Smith or Goddard or Ertz or someone like that. Uh, my concern with this game is not that I, I love the pricing. I just don't necessarily love the ownership. I believe that uh, if I'm going to like, I'm, I'm more, it's, it's weird to say, I think Ridley and Pitts, are going to be more owned as one-offs than with Ryan. And I believe that Jalen Hurts is going to be owned more as by himself than with someone else. Like it's, it's one of those weird situations where I think the highest owned players in this game are Pitts, Ridley and Hurts. And it's the opposing quarterback. Cause I think there's that making the, who are you going to pair Hurts with is going to be a problem because they could go to multiple people. He's a running quarterback. So double stacking may not be worthwhile to do because you'd rather him rush in two touchdowns. Uh, but the problem is, is that if I play Matt Ryan, it's like, who else am I playing other than Kyle's Pitts and Calvin Ridley? Uh, that combination is going to be at least popular enough that Ryan, any lineup with Matt Ryan in it is going to have these. It, 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 what, do I go to Russell Gage instead? I mean, it just, it feels as if I, I could be different more in this game on the Philadelphia side than I can on the Atlanta side. Yeah, I'm inclined to be under this game. And I've written up Atlanta as one of the stacks that, you know, kind of one of the, I don't think they're going to be super popular, but definitely will generate a fair bit of ownership as a stack uh, that, that I would want to be under on. Um, yeah, I mean, Ridley and Pitts, I think, project fine uh, in a vacuum. But uh, 
they're just going to be so popular. Uh, I think it is, you know, Matt Ryan as a quarterback just doesn't, doesn't do anything with his legs. So you're kind of just counting on uh, him to air it out and, and, you know, get four plus touchdowns, which I think is within his range of outcomes. And uh, yeah, I mean, on the Philadelphia side, it, you know, Doug Peterson is out and, you know, maybe uh, Sirianni will kind of actually pick the receivers that he wants to play at, at kind of a high frequency, which Peterson never really did uh, last year. But um, yeah, I mean, even like Devonta Smith, I think will, will be pretty popular and I think is efficiently priced to me. Like there are, you know, other valuable options uh, that, are, that are cheaper than him. Uh, you know, there's like, what, what do you do on the Philadelphia side of a Ryan plus Ridley plus, you know, even if you wanted to get different with say like Russell Gage instead of Pitts or, you know, Gage Pitts, like what do you do with confidence on the Philadelphia side? Um, there's nothing of confidence. I think, I think in a lineup that doesn't have Pitts, I'm more likely to take a shot on like Zach Ertz at 3,800. But I think the odd man out in this game that could be really interesting because Doug Peterson is not there is Miles Sanders at 6,500. Because, you know, we've, we've been saying for a long time that Miles Sanders has the skill set that if he played 85% of snaps, he could catch, he could catch six balls out of the backfield. I mean, he could, he could do a lot. Obviously his, his uh, uh, red zone, his goal line equity goes down because Hertz can run it in. But I mean, we have him uh, here at RG at like five to 6% owned at 6,500. Maybe this is the type of thing where uh, you hope that the Atlanta stack fails. Like you just hope that the game fails and it's basically either Davis or Sanders. That's the one that got there. And they're at a reasonable enough price, especially with so many people paying up at running back. And if they pay in this range, they may be paying for a Najee Harris or a James Robinson or a Joe Mixon, Antonio Gibson. I think all those guys will be more popular than, you know, Mike Davis or Miles Sanders, that you just take one of the running backs as a one-off and say, oh, so that's it. That let, let the game fail, but let me take the piece that got, the two, got two of the touchdowns in a spot that I'm able to get different uh, because I don't have one of the popular running backs. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I think Miles Sanders, uh, yeah, likely to go under owned. He doesn't like project super well, but you know, the ceiling is there. I mean, you know, uh, pass catching running back, uh, you know, figures he'll, he'll have, uh, goal line work of running backs. Like you said, you know, Jalen hurts does, does kind of cut into some of his touchdown equity, but, um, yeah, I guess I, to me, I am concerned about just his projectable value, but I, I do, I can see the case to be made for Sanders as kind of a, uh, contrarian leveraged uh, play. And, and, you know, he is a guy that I do think has, has the ceiling uh, that, that, you know, could, you could be excited about for sure. Okay. The last game that's 49 or above total. It's uh, the Packers at the saints in Jacksonville. Okay. Not in the Superdome. So it's technically a saints home game, but they're not, they're still going to be playing outside. Uh, the Packers are a three and a half point favorite. 26.25 implied total for the Packers, 22.75 implied total for the Saints. This figures to be a, I mean, some of the most owned players are in this game, one of which is Marquez Callaway, 3,400, probably going to be the highest owned wide receiver on DraftKings. Uh, Alvin Kamara with no more Lat Murray in there. Uh, he projects uh, to get, and also Jameis Winston at quarterback and not Taysom Hill. So 
He's projected to be over 20% owned. You got Devontae Adams, obviously a top top wide receiver, 8,300. Uh, he's going to be 15 to 20% owned. I even see Aaron Jones at 6,800, possibly coming in the 8 to 10% range. Uh, my, my concern about, I have no concern about the game. I have more of a concern about the players. I don't see... Uh, at his ownership, Marcus Callaway being uh, like, I'm, I'm less inclined to play him as a one-off in lineups, but I, I don't have a problem playing a Winston Callaway type of lineup. The problem is, is that like outside of these guys, I mean, first off, Kamara is going to get his touches. Devontae Adams is going to get his touches. Even Aaron Jones is going to kind of get his touches. The rest of this is just like, like the Packers could throw to who knows who knows in, who's in there. It could be Marcus Vandal Scantling. It could be Tanyan. It could be Cobb. It could be Lazard. I mean, Rodgers has no problem spreading the ball around. Uh, and then you have the Saints, where like Michael Thomas isn't there. It's still Sean Payton. Like, are we just going under the assumption that Callaway is wide receiver one and they like that he's not Michael Thomas? So like obviously like Traquan Smith and Lil Jordan Humphrey. And uh, I mean, we could name, we could, I mean, I'd have to go on Wikipedia to find out where some of these, these saints, Deontay Harris, like, are we just making too much of an assumption from like one preseason game that Callaway is going to be a 20 plus percent target share wide receiver, one type of type of guy when in actuality, could, this ball could just be spread around. They could just rotate a whole bunch of receivers and, uh, and it's not really worth it to play him as a one-off at 25 plus percent ownership. Yeah, so I, I've got a, a negative grade on kind of both both these teams in that they're if per simulations appearing in the top 1%, fewer than 1% of the time. And I guess with that alone, like uh, my, my my thinking is to, to be underweight uh, on this game. And uh, yeah, I mean, Callaway, like just all these guys are going to be super popular. Callaway uh, and Adams figured to be probably two of the five most owned uh, receivers. Camara, I would say, you know, vying with, you know, seems likely to be the, the highest owned uh, running back, probably vying with like, uh, you know, Cook, Mixon and McCaffrey. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a game that, I, that my, my, the, the, the numbers are telling me to, to be underweight on. Um, you know, I think from a value standpoint, I kind of like Arizona, like they, they project well, um, but, but just given the high ownership and, you uh, you know, aside from like Kamara and Adams, I, I agree some degree of uncertainty, uh, particularly with how New Orleans is going to spread around the ball. Um, yeah, I think I think my inclination would be to be under uh, on this game. Uh, no, I'm with you. Uh, okay, so we went through so all... maybe I guess I do have one. You said, though, you know, you're not inclined to go like uh, Callaway as, as a one off. Uh, that that makes sense. I mean, uh, for like Camara or Adams, obviously going to be high ownership. Uh, do you do you feel comfortable uh, rostering these guys as one-offs, knowing that it might be kind of a roster spot where you're going to eat chalk uh, and look to be different elsewhere, or would your preference be to try to get off? Uh, you know, really the two guys that that we as well. Well, I mean, I don't I don't mind eating chalk if they put up forty plus points. I mean. They put up 40 plus points. It doesn't matter what the, what the, what the, what the ownership is going to be. So I look at Kamara, I look at Adams and go, 
if there's if Adams is 18% owned and puts up 43 points, like I'm still going to need them. Kamara puts up 38 points. I'm still going to need it. Call- what's Callaway's ceiling in comparison to those two? Like what's going to end up happening? I mean, it could easily happen that Callaway literally has six points and everyone's looking around going, what happened there? But for 3,400, people are going to be happy with 16 points, right? If Callaway goes, let's say Callaway goes uh, five for 60 and a touchdown, right? So that's 11, that's 17 points. And people will go, well, for 3,400, that's that's pretty good. Well, you have to now make up the raw points in the rest of your lineup to win a GPP. You may be happy with 17 in your cash lineup. Okay, I get it. But it's also a roster slot that you're taking up. So like and a guy like Adams, a guy like Kamara, if I could get 35 plus raw points, like I'd at that point, the ownership doesn't matter to me anymore. And it, it, who cares if they're chalk? As long as I'm good at the rest of my lineup. But when a $3,400 guy like puts up 15 and we have, let's say on this slate, we have, we have seven, seven wide receivers that put up at least 28 points. It's like those wide receiver slots are going to be very valuable to have. And you'd rather not have uh, an 18 point Callaway there. Cause you're going to need, you're going to need, you're going to need Adams and Ridley in your wide receiver spots. And then one of the, uh, the cheaper running backs, you know, it equals someone else. So like McCaffrey has a 32 point game and it's like, okay, that's pretty good. But Mixon has a 32 point game or Antonio Gibson has a third, like someone, some cheaper running back matches. And it's like, well, now that they could match the higher end running back, I'd rather pay up at wide receiver. So like, I, I view things in that way where like, how often will Callaway burn me from a first place finish in GPP versus cash games where I don't necessarily care. Adams and Kamara are more likely to burn me by putting up a score that I just, you need the raw points in order to get. If you, so you, you understand why like high price chalk is not, is not necessarily that much of a concern to me in my lineups. It's the lope. It's the, it's the stuff where their floor is like single digits. Like Adams, I'm not, Adams, I'm not concerned outside of getting injured. That's like, Oh, Oh, Adams, 8% target share game. Like, I, like that's just that it would be such a, such a outlier for that to happen. But if Callaway came, came, oh, we saw one preseason game and he comes and he, and he, he only plays 60% of the snaps because they do something else. They line up Kamara as, as, as a wide receiver even. I mean, like, you don't know what, what they're going to do. We have a sample size of almost nothing. Adams and Kamara, we don't have sample sizes of nothing. I mean, that's like Aaron Rodgers is going to throw the ball to Devontae Adams. That, that's, there's no question about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense to me. It's like Callaway uh, – is likely to be a helpful piece, but unlikely to be a necessary piece. And also has a decent probability of totally sinking your lineup. Um, Adams and Kamara have potential to be like necessary pieces, I guess, uh, in a way that, of course, Callaway has the potential to do that, but uh, more likely that he's to be a helpful piece than I guess a necessary. Okay. Any other games on the docket that we didn't get to that because they're, it's a lower than 49 total that uh, you're looking to target as far as, you know, building team and game stacks around. Yeah. I mean, Carolina to me looks a little interesting. Uh, Darnold is concerning, but the skill pieces are, are really compelling. Uh, McCaffrey will be popular. Um, I don't suspect though that um DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson are going to be uh, 
exceptionally high owned. Uh, and, you know, I think both are, you know, highly talented receivers, you know, Terrence Marshall, I think will, will, will gain a, a, you know, get some steam. Um, so, you know, you could do something like one of more is super cheap. Given a ton of thought to like how you would want to play the jet side, if at all, you know, they can be a team that you don't uh, want to bring back, but um, you know, I figure like a uh, Corey Davis, uh, you know, could be in play as a good bring back or you uh, you know, if uh, Crowder and Cole don't play, like Elijah Moore probably looks like a pretty, pretty strong play to slide up on the depth chart. Uh, so, so that game is intriguing to me. I don't think it'll garner uh, no ownership. You know, I do think Darnold projects as a pretty good value across the industry. So I would sense that he'll get a decent bit of ownership. Um, let's see. Well, I think the one game that stands out that's going to be owned. And I have, I have a take on how to play this game contrarian is uh, the Vikings and Bengals game. Cook is going to be chalky. Mixon's going to be chalky. T. Higgins is going to be chalky. Joe Burrow is going to be kind of chalky also. I think most, most of these game stacks are going to be like Burrow plus Higgins plus Boyd or Chase and then running it back with uh, uh, Cook. Maybe some Jefferson, some Thielen. What do you think about doing the opposite? What do you think about the the negative correlation? The Cook would be like the the Vikings passing game. We're we're going on the assumption that the Bengals are actually ahead, and you play Cousins with one of Jefferson or Thielen. Maybe play a cheap Tyler Conklin or something, just so you know you get a different construction. You're not paying up at tight end, and then you run that back with with one of the Bengals. Like you, it could be Mixon, even it could be Higgins, it could be Chase, it could be Boyd, whichever ones you want. I just don't think uh, it's necessary. People are going to take it from that side, and it's directly, it's like it's negative uh, correlation against Cook, and it's pro- and it's also negative correlation against Burrow. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it be highly popular, and of course, there's there's good value with Higgins and Mixon, but uh, yeah, I, I like the Minnesota side. Um, so we've been dabbling with like uh, not only looking at, at uh, you know, stacks and they're like simulated ROI or top 1% uh, outcomes on the team level, but also at the player level. And one combination that kind of is bubbling to the top is like cousins plus Jefferson plus Conklin plus Boyd, uh, which I think is, is one that you kind of called out there um, or, or could be made from some of the players you highlighted. So, yeah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Cincinnati side, like, looks reasonably good to me uh certainly from a value standpoint uh i think to me like that would be a chalk like going like burrow uh higgins plus like jamar chase or boyd or something like that to me uh, between like say that stack and like an arizona uh type stack i, I think i would be preferred you know, I'd rather latch on to like cincinnati as one of the chalkier uh stacks than say arizona or like buffalo um if that makes sense. And I'm not, not totally sure if you're aligned with that, but um, that's kind of, I think it's more due to price. I think, I think that the amount of production difference between the bills stack and the uh, Cardinal stack, like the Bengals, I mean, it's quite possible borrow throws for the most amount of passing yards this year. They're going to throw the ball 
more than anything else. And they're also going to be behind in games a lot of times. And the Vikings, what, what I always like about the Vikings is that, like, you know where the ball is going. Like, it's, the, it's one of the most condensed uh, team offenses, especially now with Irv Smith out. We don't expect Conklin to get – I mean, he's more of a blocking tight end. He's just – there got to be a tight end out there somewhere. So he's going to get some looks. Uh, I just like playing, you know, g- game stacks with the Vikings, no matter who they're playing, because, you know, they've one of three skill position players. And most likely in every game, one of them will have will have a, a GPP ceiling type of score. Man, uh, get your trash can ready. I feel like uh, this is uh, you're not going to like this one. But do you, what do you think of the Houston Jacksonville game? Just oh, oh, okay. That's the biggest <laughs> the biggest question I have for you. That's the, we'll, we'll we'll close with this. Okay, that's the game I'm looking at. I think it's the highest variance game on the slate. Yeah. I think it, it, this is the type of thing where we may not, we, it's, it's weird for me to say, we may be severely overestimating how, how NFL ready this Texans team is. Like, like we may, we, the Texans may end up, we, we looked at the Jets last year, right? As like, oh, you can't even run back people in their games because like just no one ever gets there because they're that bad the Texans may end up this year being worse. And now the Jaguars are not a good team either, but I actually think that the drop down between the Jag, the Jaguars and the Texans may actually be ginormous that Jacksonville is not going to be like a favorite in many games this season. Uh, this may be the time they have cheap pieces to take and take Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault. And, you know, if you want to play James Robinson, obviously he, he's, he's more outside of a game stack environment. My question is, is it possible? The concern here is like, if you take a look at the past data, uh, these players hit ceilings when they're shootouts, right? So can the, if we believe that the Texans are much worse than they are, is it, pos- it, is it less likely that the Jaguars players even get there because they're just almost shown no resistance that you know, they end up running the ball for the second half. I mean, like it, it, it ends up one of those games where the other team is just, the ball's not flying back and forth. It's just like just stalls at a lot of places. And you have to expect that the Jaguars are going to stall some also that like, it's not a matter of, can I play Lawrence plus Jones plus Chenault plus uh, Brandon Cooks or, you know, something like that. Uh, it's more of a matter of, do I play anyone on the Texan side? And then if like, if, if the Texans can't even put up points this game, can the Jaguars end up, can Trevor Lawrence be the highest scoring quarterback? And I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Um, I think those are fair concerns. Uh, I mean, the ownership is just going to be so low on, I think the Jacksonville, like the skill pieces will get, uh, you know, a decent bit of ownership, Marvin Jones in particular, but uh, as a stack, I mean, I just, I think the ownership on uh, both these sides is going to be so insanely low. Like, I think at the outset, it is worth taking some shots. You know, we look, I mean, last year with the Jets, we, at least I, you know, tried uh, doing some Denzel Mims bringbacks, doing some Crowder bringbacks, doing some Perriman bringbacks. Of course, we eventually came to the conclusion that it was not worth uh, bringing back some Jets guys. But like, I don't know, at at the outset, like Brandon Cooks is going to get targets. You know, uh, Jordan Akins is a guy like he, I think will get, I think he'll get his looks. Um, you know, the Texans could put up seven points. They could put up three points. Um, 
I don't think any of these defenses are any good. Uh, it's really going to kind of be uh, a war of futility. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I imagine I will be taking some, some, uh, some darts, th- dart throws on stacking uh, this game. It's not going to really take much to be overweight the field. Uh, you know, we might come back next week and, and the Texans score three points and, uh, you know, uh, we'll probably probably rethink the idea of uh, like Brandon Cooks as a viable bring back. But at least at the outset, uh, I, I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to probably uh, have some some uh, some Brandon Cooks kind of game stack type lineups. Right. Seems like you're you're for the vomit stacks this week more than I am. Yeah, it, it might be. And I, I'm leaning heavily just like on some of the uh, simulation values we're cranking out. And I, I um, man, it's like finicky, you know. Um, well, I don't know. It's part of a longer discussion. They, they look compelling. Um, I definitely think it's going to be different. I mean, uh, the, there's just going to be uh, a lot of like expensive quarterback play, uh, a lot of like cheap receivers and expensive running back uh, uh, type stuff. And um I don't know, maybe going cheap running back, like expensive one-off receivers and like a vomit stack uh, might, might be a kind of different way to approach things. Well, we'll, we'll see. see how it pans out for week one. AdvancedSportsAnalytics.com. You also put out uh, a sub stack that people could subscribe to. So how, how, how do they get how do they get in touch with the, you there and all the tools that you provide at ASN? Yeah, so, so through probably Saturday, I think we're going to keep the site free just so people can poke around. Uh, you know, we're still kind of working to, to put some finishing touches and kind of uh, micro adjustment adjustments to some things. Uh, so, yeah, we'll keep it open free, uh, probably up, up, you know, till like Sunday morning or something. And then, yeah, put things behind the paywall. Uh, we will have a Substack article coming out uh, imminently. I wanted to press publish before for the episode, but uh got tied up with some other things uh, that that will be free this week. Uh, but yeah, then we will eventually kind of move behind a paywall, but uh, yeah, you can subscribe to the site and that'll get you access to projections and optimizer. Uh, we do have some other kind of data visualization and, and raw data tools that people can use. Uh, our projections are available on fantasy labs. So any uh, labs subscriber uh, can access those through the, the fantasy labs marketplace. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, on the site, we have some contact information, uh, Twitter as well. Um, I believe our Twitter is AS analytic, AS analytics. So ASA analytics, um, you can reach out to us on Twitter, pretty responsive. Um, and yeah, we'll be, we'll be tuned in this weekend. So, um, yeah, you can, can reach us at those, uh, at those contacts. Right. And you could also download the projections from ASA and, and upload them into lineup HQ on Roto Grinders. If you're a premium member, feel free to click on the link in the description for $10 off your first month. So for Stuart Gibson, I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. Follow me there on Twitter. And uh, this has been the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on RotoGrinders.com. Mm-hmm.